we're good to go. Uh, so, hey everybody, uh, we're welcoming back to the show this week, Anthony Campolo, who uh, is already doing many things, but it seems like the things that they've been doing has increased since last time. But as far as I'm aware, you're a Redwood uh, core team member. Mm-hmm. You're, you've got the FS Jam podcast. And Correct. since we last talked, you are now a developer advocate for Stepsin. Yeah, yeah, that's been the, the biggest change since we last spoke, and it was very much connected to the work I've been doing on Redwood because it's a GraphQL company specifically for managed GraphQL API gateways, which is okay. a lot to unpack, but um, we can get into that a little bit more as we go. Managed GraphQL API gateways. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll we'll circle around to to some of that um some of that stuff too, but so so basically like we've seen you hanging around the Discord and you're always kind of dropping links. Uh and it seems like whenever we're talking about something that's sort of front end related or like tooling related, uh you know something about it. Yeah, I try to keep my ear to the ground as as much as I can and a lot of this I can owe to being so into podcasts and having listened to a lot of tech podcasts over now many years because eventually you start to see the trends and you can see projects develop over time. And if you see like a project that people have been talking about for like a year, like it, it's not really taking that long to learn at least like a one liner explanation of it, you know? And so it's like, you know, people can get very like wrapped up, like oh, so much stuff I have to learn. It's like, just take it like little bits and just like try and at least say like what is this thing first off and even that like just being able to say what a thing is is usually useful for people because they hear all these terms and it's hard Mm -hmm. to to wrap their their mind around it but i just enjoy being in the conversation hearing the conversation and so i always try and stay aware of what's happening and then do my own kind of research to figure out like what is like where I want to place my bets in terms of what I want to learn, what I want to invest in, what I want to like recommend to other people who like respect my opinion on these types of things, you know? Yeah, that's in, that's interesting. What you want to learn, like, so you, you actively think about like, what should I learn? What should I invest my time in and things like that? Do you have any sort of criteria that you follow for those or is it more of like a gut feeling? Uh, it's, you can make it measurable if you want to. It's um, for me, it's a kind of a holistic thing where there's the bare numbers, which is things like Twitter stars, uh, sorry, uh, GitHub stars, Twitter followers, uh, YouTube subscribers, members of a Discord. Like, there's lots of these numbers and ways of of measuring a community that are actually fairly objective once you take them in, in aggregate. And then you also have the the intangibles, which is like how well written are the docs. And then even more intangible, how nice are they when people come in to ask questions or contribute? And so there's, you want to look at that whole thing. And once you do that, I think you actually can start to see which projects are kind of a step above most in terms of having all of that, because it requires a whole team of people with various skill sets to like do, do yeah. that well. And um, once you do it, usually other people will start kind of paying attention to it. So eventually you kind of become aware of all the interesting projects that are happening within a specific niche now like there's a million projects in like blockchain like all sorts of that know anything about so within my own kind of realm of front-end javascript like if eventually you'll kind of get a handle on who are the interesting projects and what people are working on them and like kind of what their goals are for where they're trying to take it and then you can think about okay how do we integrate these things then how do we like collaborate between these different projects yeah it's definitely a lot to just kind of take in all the time. I think like I, I go through cycles of it where I'm looking around and interested and in cycles where I just can't 
can't push through anymore and, you know, go back to what I was doing or focusing on. So it's definitely like a cyclical thing for me. Um, yeah, I guess like, do you, do you try to try to, to meter, do you have any sort of process, I guess, for maybe like, okay, now I feel like I want to go around and find some stuff versus, or is it sort of just like something that is always kind of ongoing with, with, uh, your process? Yeah, it's, I would say I try and cover what I think is like the important stuff and the things like this, like a need to know type thing, and then cover it to the extent you need to know to like build a proof of concept with it. So when I think of like what I'm trying to learn or what I'm trying to build or what I'm trying to do, it's usually like, how do I get this to, to a hello world in like the simplest way possible, but also have that hello world be a good representation of what a, a real version of it would be. So that can kind of be condensed down. It's usually like one really good, well-written blog post. So I'll usually think of like the different like React meta frameworks, which is like Gatsby, Next, Redwood, Blitz, Remix, and think, okay, like how do I make like one good Hello World tutorial for each of those? And then kind of like go down the line. So that's also what I did for like ES Build and Vite and Snowpack. And really like anyone can do this. All you have to do is go to whatever that project's docs is, go to their getting started guide, follow it, and basically copy paste it and then add all the stuff that hung you up and that like you would like, okay, they should give me this command. They should give me this flag. They should have explained this part and then change it a little bit and keep changing it. And then at the end, you should have a better getting started guide than whatever they have. Right. So you, you kind of distill the things that are coming amongst all of them and you start to get a hunch for, Oh, this thing lives in this space. You probably need to do a, B and C. There may be some variances in there, but they're generally the same. Yeah, and give you like a workflow so you can compare them. So it's like, what is what are you going to get if you use like the default boilerplate of Vite versus Snowpack? And then how would you deploy it with like their most basic integrated deployment setup? And so you can then look at those two tutorials and like directly map one to the other. Okay, this is how this is what took me get from here to here, and this is how it was deployed. And this took me like basically the steps are usually like how do you create the project, which can be like start from scratch or, or generate a boilerplate. And then how do you get all the dependencies in there? And then what are like the conventions of the thing, like how they map pages or has it talk to the back end or all that kind of stuff. And then how do you deploy it? So I try to cover like right. those chunks of each of the things that usually gives you enough of an idea of like what it is and what it would actually be like to work with it without having to overwhelm you with like a whole real version of it, like a production app. So it's like a, it's a way of like distilling it down to something that should be like comprehensible enough to at least get the point like you're not gonna become an expert in these technologies that are reading all my blog posts like you're gonna know very very little about each of them but you're at least gonna understand what it is and can talk about it and don't feel overwhelmed by all these tools that you don't understand sure yeah that makes sense yeah and i guess like the act of writing it down to like writing the blog post right like it helps reinforce everything too and it's also material you can go back and reference later as well yeah i mean the most people who write this kind of tech content will tell you they do it mostly for themselves and if it's useful for other people, that's like, cool. It's like a nice bonus. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, I wanted to circle back real quick to, to steps on too. So, I mean, you mentioned uh developer advocate. Um, I don't exactly know uh, what really that is like by the book, you know? So I've heard, you know, I've heard terms like DevRel. I've seen people on Twitter saying they're hiring, hiring developer advocates. Uh, I guess like my, my really non-educated guess would be you're, 
you're basically advocating for why StepZen's uh, useful or how they could, you know, they have they have tools that benefit a certain number of people. And so you like demonstrate why that is. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to describe the way I do uh, my dev advocate job. Part of the reason why this is a complicated conversation is that there's many facets to it that can't really all be done by one person. So there's a couple of things that are being bundled into it, which is why you have the term DevRel. So I think of DevRel as the overarching thing that includes things like dev advocates, things like community managers, things like technical content creators. And the the difference between these different types of roles can be kind of fluid project to project and how big the projects are, what stage they are in their life cycle. But usually you can kind of break it down to there's the actual building the tools, there's explaining the tools, and then there's like interfacing with people who are using the tools. So that's that's how I like I like to think about it, because then you want to make sure you understand how the tool works. So you want to kind of work on it a little bit and at least contribute to it. And then you want to be able to explain that to people. So you want to write some like docs for it. And then you actually want to talk to people using it because that's where you're going to learn the most about the thing that you think you already know so much about okay. if you're using it and building with it. But until you go and talk to the people, you don't really know if anything you've done matters at all. And so you, it's 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 a too much for one person to do. But if you don't do a little bit of all of it, you can get kind of disconnected from the, the larger goal. So, yeah, it's right. and th- like you said, there, there is no books. That's why it's like, you know, there's there's this is a super new thing. It's kind of what used to be called a technical evangelist, which was a term that like Apple invented, I think. And it's kind of shifted a little bit and has really gone to overdrive with COVID because you had everyone go online. So everything had to be through digital content and through these community platforms. And you just had to have people who knew how to do this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's actually to me, it sounds more like it's it's more about education and learning how to help steer a thing uh, ver- than just like sales. That's that's how I think about it, and it's it's funny, you know, because this is the the kind of like the big the big elephant in the room of this conversation is the question of is it a marketing role or not, and should you think about it as a marketing role or not? Because like you can say like I can say I'm not a marketer, but if I was hired to be a marketer, <laughs> then that's a problem, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you have, you have to be aware of what you're actually going to be expected to do and what, what you really need to do for me. I don't think you're ever going to get someone to use your thing until they understand it. So for me, getting people to, to learn a thing is, it's just a prerequisite for, for being used. So I don't think of it as marketing in the technical sense, but it contributes to the bottom line in that way. Yeah, that yeah, that makes sense to me. Like, if a person doesn't understand your thing, like, why would they choose it? If it doesn't make sense, if it's not clear, or even if like you know what the benefits aren't clear, why would they? Why would they pick it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that also involves just like empathy and understanding what are people actually building with it, what they need to to build with it. Because when you're building developer tooling, it's very easy to get wrapped up in your own ideas, like what developers want. And it's very wrapped up in what you want as a developer, which can lead you astray very quickly. So that's why you need to have that like feedback loop of having people actually use the thing and, and build real things with it. And that's what you get from like open source frameworks is you have dozens or hundreds or thousands of people building stuff with your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that a lot too with like, say, if I'm using VS Code, you'll install a plugin and it's like very specialized as whoever wrote it. And maybe I don't work that way or don't like to work that way. But, you know, I could always make my own. That's cool. It's open source, but I don't want 
I don't want to. Uh, so I think maybe that's part of the reason why I've always felt more comfortable. Uh, why I always, I mean, the last couple of years now using JetBrains stuff because it's all just the same. Well, this is why everyone's just going to use VS Code one day because it's just <laughs> it's going to integrate with everything and it's going to be so simple. And it's like, I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, that's it's that's hard work. to argue against that. I uh, I will uh, resist for as long as I can. Um, no, it sounds cool. I mean, like you've been writing a ton of blog posts too. Like we, you were talking about your blog earlier and I've always, I've been impressed recently with just like the no, the amount of content, um, that you're putting out. Uh, so yeah, I mean like you're doing your day job with dev advocate stuff. Um, we, we, we mentioned that you're core core, like part of the core team on Redwood too. Um, so I haven't been following Redwood that closely lately. Like I get the, uh, forum digest emails. So I see, you know, I see some conversations happening and I see some of the bigger shifts happening, but, um, what's been going on in the Redwood world in the past, uh, several months. Yeah. We're trying to make a big push for V1, which if you've been following Redwood for a while, it probably sounds hilarious because we originally had said we wanted to get V1 out by the end of last year. And then we said we wanted to get it out by Q1 of this year. And if you look at the calendar, we're almost at the end of Q2 already. So it's partly where over the last couple months, like so many interesting things were happening with the framework that we kept building new stuff. And so like you get the scope creep kind of thing. And so we had to kind of dial it back and be like, all right, basically TypeScript and tests is like the the big thing now of how do we get full TypeScript support, which we were working on like for a year. We talked about this on, on the last episode mm-hmm. and still working on that, but I think we're getting really close. And then we have like a whole end-to-end testing suite now with with Cypress for testing like the tutorial and things like that. So we want to make sure that's really going to be solid for V1. That's why it's taking a really long time. And because we're saying like, we want this to be a serious framework. We don't want to just like put it out just because we said we were going to put it out, you know. But um, that's all like super interesting stuff that I'm not really super close to because I don't know anything about TypeScript and I don't like I can write tests, but I'm not a testing expert by by any means. But what I've found really interesting and what I've kind of found is like an area I can I can fill is trying to connect the dots for like the the deployment story because Redwood JS was originally kind of proposed and has been this like universal deployment machine is a really common term that Tom talked about a lot when he was putting it out into the world. And so the idea being that you want it to be just like your like front end Jamstack kind of sites where it just syncs to a Git repo and like you do a Git push and that updates the repo and then that triggers a build that then triggers the deploy and then you have it on, on a link and you just got it. And so that works really well for static front ends right now. And we want to get to that point where you actually do it with also a server and a database, which is a lot harder right. to do. And so I kind of broke the the history of Redwood's hosting down into like a couple of phases in this blog post I put out recently. And like the first phase was Netlify. It was like designed for Netlify really specifically. And it was doing that with Netlify functions, which is just like a wrapper on top of AWS Lambdas, which is like a way to it's basically just a node server, actually. It's kind of funny. Like most people don't really think of Lambda, but it's actually just kind of like a node server. And it was a way to make it really easy for anyone to deploy to it without having to know AWS and like how to do the credentials and how to do like all the stuff that goes around with AWS. But 
as soon as like we got that people were like okay but how do i just use it with aws lambda <laughs> you know so people yeah. immediately want to they want to drop down to the, the base layer and so you have people do it with the serverless framework and do it so that you had like your infrastructure's code kind of thing and that was that was really great but then people were like okay but actually i do want a server <laughs> so then people took this thing that was designed for serverless lambda handlers and just ran it on pm2 just ran node and and did it that way and we also talked about this on on our first episode as well i think i was i think i was even asking about that right mm-hmm. like yeah. what if i just want to put you know put it on a server mm-hmm. yeah and so you can do that so that was phase phase two so phase zero is netlify phase one is aws lambda specifically phase two was pm2 server full and then phase three we're like okay but we still haven't figured out the database yet so there's still this question of in all of those scenarios you still have a database you need to spin up completely separately from from your server and then connect it with an environment variable and we wanted to have not only the infrastructure as code with a deterministic build and everything we wanted to have that for the front end and the back end and the the database and so that's where render comes into the picture which is like a kind of combo between like heroku and netlify it does a little bit of both of those and tries to give you a really nice integrated experience and so that was something we were talking about but it hadn't been done yet but that's like that's shipped now it has been for like a month or two and it's it's awesome it's like the future of dev it's like so cool yeah that uh yeah i should look into that because it sounds really nice i mean that's that's kind of like where i would probably live i think the the idea of shipping to jamstack makes makes sense uh for many things but i don't know i i just feel feel comfortable with like a postgres database in and using that like knowing postgres is there and using it so the idea that it's plug and play is 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 really killer and that's partly it's always just been Postgres, and that's what's allowed us to to do this on so many different hosting providers that everyone has a side. Let's just all use Postgres, which is great. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't so you, you sent me the blog post and I haven't read it yet. I linked it in, in the chat and I'll put it in the show notes as well. But I mean that, to me that's like really compelling because uh like I've been mentioning, I've been hanging around remix and the remix um Discord. And and that's one thing that was really nice is that you know it's it's I don't even know what version it is like point zero point one seven or something, um, but it has you know deployment uh, plugins for a bunch of different like Arc, like we were talking about earlier. Uh, you can put it on Heroku. You could put it on Vercel. It just I don't know. It's nice to be able to oh you have a plugin for whatever my preferred you know platform as a service of choice, and so I just plug in my credentials and it works. Like that's really really compelling. Yeah, and it's probably just because every one of these providers has some sort of like specific toml or yaml file like there'll be a netlify.toml or there'll be a, a render.yaml or there'll, there'll be something like that and so that's like that is the infrastructure is code and that's what the writing the blog post is really good for me is that i kind of went back and like okay i was like who is like period done this and like how do they do it it's like look at their code and kind of how it evolved and the steps it it took to get there because when I was starting to learn Redwood, like I knew a little bit of React and like I knew a little bit of like backend, like Express and, and Postgres stuff, because that's what my bootcamp covered, like was all that. And so I had to learn like the GraphQL stuff and the the deployment stuff because it just worked with Netlify. Like you would follow this tour and you had a done complete deployed app at the end. So you didn't have to think about that part at all. But 
seeing the framework go through this process of trying to make it portable basically helped me learn what actually is the difference between all these things and what is actually the difference between serverless and just running a server because like i saw where like the rubber met the road with all of these things and even thomas who everyone should hear probably knows he's been on the show a lot and hangs on the discord he works for microsoft and has been helping with the porting from lambda to azure and like People always say it's like, oh, they're just Azure functions are just like Lambda. It's just like I, they are and they aren't. You know, it's like and the, it's the same idea, but the the differences are, are subtle enough and have large enough consequences that you'd be surprised how hard it can be to actually plug and play this stuff. Yeah, it's not something I want to try to do. Uh, I've been really lucky in that my 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 current day job, all the DevOps stuff is not handled by me. Uh, so, you know, when I, when we're like, Hey, we need a, we need automate CI for this. Someone else just makes it happen and I get to use it and it's nice. Uh, that's been, that's been really nice. Like anything, anything on, you know, anything in my side projects, I've just been using railway recently and it's just all there. So I've not done like any of this stuff and it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Railway is awesome. I think I'm the one who told you about railway, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, there's so many hosting providers like this, like some are just kind of database heavy, some want to own more of like the server and the database, and some want to own like the whole thing, and then some are more focused on containers or serverless, like that's a, that's a kind of whole whole separate thing is like, we've had people figure out how to run Redwood on Docker, but it's not really documented yet, and we don't have like a Redwood opinion around how to Dockerize, even though we know we need one, people are asking for one so that's like another kind of like side <laughs> quest on this deployment story <laughs> sure yeah that's that's cool though i mean it sounds like it's coming a long way and i mean back when we talked uh not like it was years ago but everything still felt so i don't know kind of like they had this level of maturity with to it i think with specifically redwood because of the level of the documentation and the presentation of the site it looks great it reads great it communicates well um so yeah, even looking at it, like as we're talking about it, just kind of scrolling through again, I'm remembering things that I liked about it. Uh, and like, I think last week or maybe two weeks ago, I complained about form abstractions and form libraries. <laughs> and I had I had some feedback on that. Um, and, and like most notably around like how I was talking about how like like Remix just uses regular old HTML forms and then they do have a, a form component that can uh, progressively enhance it. And many people were like, well, that's too simplistic like there's a reason why these form extractions were made in the first place a lot of it's like val validation helpers and and things like that because yeah. you think there's there's a lot of really really common stuff we do with forms that's not built into into the platform it's not like you can't do it it's just that it saves you time to have helpers built in with the form libraries right and that was I, honestly that was one of the nicest things uh to me at first about redwood was the form extraction was nice to use yeah, and that's not that's not even really us. We basically are using React hook form and are like kind of doing a very, very light abstraction on top, but you can just use React hook form by itself, or you can just literally write an HTML form because it's uh, it's just like React. So you just throw a form component. So we give you three kind of different levels of form abstractions. You can kind of just pick whatever you want. Yeah. Um the, the the abstractions that you did put on it though are pretty pretty nice. It just feels really seamless. It feels like like you wouldn't be able to tell necessarily that unless you were familiar with React Hook Form that this is React Hook Form. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, it is like how much work actually is being on the core team for for Redwood? It's a thing where they're looking for people who are 
genuinely passionate about it and like want to be involved and are going to stick around. It's not so much about like everyone puts in a certain amount of hours or anything like that because people aren't most people aren't being paid for. There's some people who are being funded by Tom, his present Warner venture thing. And I'm not privy to what types of negotiations go on with that and how much work needs to be done or not. But I know most of the people on the core team do it in their spare time for fun because they're, they're passionate about it. And so they contribute what they can and is there's never anything expected of you. And it's usually just like people commit to things. And if you commit to something that is expected of you, but you're never expected to commit to anything. So it's, it's really nice. And, you know, for me before, like when I was talking to you, I was still driving for Uber. Like I was, I used to be like working full time as a delivery man while I was like going to a coding boot camp while I was also applying for jobs and writing all these blog posts and going out and talking at things. And once I actually had a job, even though I had to spend time doing my job also, it cut out all those other things and just gives right. you like the, the mental space to like, even after a day of work, still keep coding for an extra hour or two. Cause I'm enjoying all the stuff I'm doing. I'm not like killing my body. I'll spend like, you know, eight hours driving every day. So it's, yeah, I feel like I've been able to be more productive and like all, all the things I do. So it's been great. Yeah. That's no, I'm, I'm super glad to hear that, that that's working out, um, that way. Uh, so we were, we were talking, like you mentioned uh, React Meta Framework, uh, and I wanted to circle back to that quickly too, because I may have mentioned it on a show at some point, but I don't think we've ever like defined what like a, a React Meta Framework is for, for the audience. Yeah, and I would say it's not going to be specific to React. When I use the term Meta Framework, I'm usually specifically talking about something that is going to be built on either React, Vue, or Svelte. And you can probably find other ones that, that can match this as well. But the idea being that those are already things built with JavaScript. Like those are already either libraries or frameworks. Don't worry about whether it's a library or framework. That's a red herring to this conversation. If you're building <laughs> sure. on top of one of those things, then you're a meta framework. So most people know Gatsby and Next as things that are built with React on top of React. So those are canonical examples of meta frameworks. And then you have Redwood and Blitz. And then you have things with Vue, with things like Nuxt and Gridsum, and then Svelte. A lot of people probably heard about Svelte Kit. Some people may have heard of Sapper a little while ago. So all of these things are taking the, the JavaScript UI library, because this is the thing, React was only the V and MVC. It's just the Vue. So that's why you can't just use it to build your whole thing. It's not supposed to do that. So it makes sense that people would build these more full-featured frameworks on top of it because they own a certain space and do it really well, but people still want a more full-featured framework that can do stuff fast for them, give them good mm-hmm. conventions because that's what we've had for 20 years doing you know, development. And the way you want to have those opinions is just going to differ. That's why you're always going to end up with so many different things because you have, do you want GraphQL? Do you not want GraphQL? Do you want to have a database opinion? Once you have a database opinion, do you want to have an ORM opinion? Do you want to have an auth opinion? So there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, you, so there's like different levels of these meta frameworks and you have to, it's going back to building a simple proof of concept with each of them. That's all you really need to do to be able to compare these things. Cause you'll get pretty quickly, like why Gatsby is different from Redwood. Like there's no Postgres database with Gatsby, you know, it's, but you just have to build something with it to actually understand all the pieces and how they all fit together and which pieces you get, which pieces are just like, go find that one yourself. Yeah. I I've done a little bit, you know, of searching around with like, I've tried out blitz. I've tried out remix. I've tried out next. Um, I've never actually used Gatsby. I haven't had to use it yet. I've used Redwood a little bit. Um, 
I like that. Like there's a big common ground, like the actual presentation layer, the templating layer, like it's just react. So at some level, you, there's always, you're, you're always familiar with something coming in. Right. And I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I was talking about how I never really felt comfortable, like truly comfortable, uh, with, with say like rails ERB templates, embedded Ruby templates or, or like, you know, EX templates with Phoenix, but uh, where when it came to like view and react, I always I've pretty much always felt pretty comfortable after kind of the initial learning curve, like pretty comfortable building UIs with them. So it's kind of like for me with these React meta frameworks, it's like flipping flipping the MVC stuff around, right? So uh, when you have like Rails or Phoenix, the the backend side of it, the MVC side, of it, like the the um, MNC side of it are like comfortable and nice for me to work with, but the V part of it was always difficult. Mm-hmm. And with the React ones, it's like flipped flipped around. The V part's easy. And then it's just, like you said, kind of making a decision about all the others. Um, and I've seen, you know, it seems like some, uh, some, you know, libraries or I guess not at libraries really, but some of these frameworks are allowing you to kind of pick and choose. Like you said, do you want GraphQL? Do you want REST? Do you want Postgres? Do you want Mongo? Um, basically providing like adapter layers so you can actually like plug those layers into uh, that system, which seems interesting. It's You're able to do it if you're like just shipping kind of like static assets. Like that's the one that is really easy for everyone to to align on. Once you get into all the, the database stuff, it's like it's really complicated and why something like switching between Postgres and Mongo. It's like, I've, I've been watching Prisma spend a year figure out how to do that. <laughs> like, and they, they, yeah. they're just about to get over the finish line. Actually, like it actually, it does, it functions based on like, I actually got a Prisma thing spun up with MongoDB and like did a MongoDB Atlas thing and, and did and it, it works. And it's like really, really cool to, to kind of see that happen. But the, the deployment providers is more so where you want to be able to, to actually plug and play. Cause Everyone kind of has their own opinion of where you you want to host these things, and you it's it's a build process. So that's what's going to be different. Your code can stay the same, but it's how you get those assets to the actual providers that's kind of complicated. And that's where like Redwood is very different from like a Next because you have two like you have a website and api side and they both have a package.json which is like it there's there's reasons for that but it's also really dumb and like super hard to work with so the the, like how the project is set up is going to have huge implications of how well they're going to plug and play with these these different providers so if as you're building it you think about that stuff you can get to the point where it's like okay i need to figure out what i need to do to get them all to work together and then you start building all the the complicated stuff on top so I think that's you like you really want to think about like where you want this to live and where you want to deploy it and where you may potentially want to deploy it one day because there's a lot of considerations that go into making these things actually portable. Yeah, the uh, so far the remix way has been if you if you do need to switch or if you want to experiment with others, you generate a new project and then just copy your app folder over to it because the 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 project generator will like scaffold the. The different configurations, like like if you're using Express, there'll be like a separate server file, or if you're using Vercel, there'll be like a separate Vercel chain. And it, it was kind of wild. Like the first time I looked at it, I was like, oh, they want me to just make a new project and copy my app folder over. I don't think I've ever, like, I don't think that's ever been the process for me before in like, you know, switching to a different provider or something, but I thought it was, it's clever. 
it worked. It was clever, but it wouldn't have been something that like I thought of uh, myself. Yeah, and that makes sense because with Redwood, you have a command you run that once you run the command, you are good to deploy to that thing. Like you'll say, yarn Redwood deploy Netlify, and it creates a Netlify.toml that has the build steps. And if you say Vercel instead of Netlify, it then does the things it needs to do for, for Vercel, but it doesn't change any any of the code. So you can have your app deploy in one thing, then you just change the deploy step and then deploy it again. And you don't need to change any of the actual code in the project. Right. And this is where like just the it's the universal deployment machine is because they all use Git. You know, it's like at the end of the day, I think as long as you're gonna attach to a GitHub repo, like that's kind of the, or you know GitLab or Bitbucket or whatever kind of adapters you want to build in. But it all kind of comes back to these repos. That's how we're developing these things. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so part of me like thinking about changing provide just like changing providers willy nilly like that. That would freak me out. Like mm-hmm. a few years ago, I'd be like, no way. There's no way <laughs> we're, we're not going off of Heroku over my dead body. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like once it's set up, you don't touch it kind of stuff. So it's kind of wild to be thinking about within a few commands you could realistically, you know, I, I you know, we're not like, I've never tried to do this with a complicated, like in production at myself, but seemingly like with the universal deploy machine, you just run a command and now, now you're taking advantage of a different service for whatever reason. Like there'd probably be a reason for the switch and you're just not doing it for fun. But, and the reason why it's simple is because the Redwood team spent the time to figure that out. So yeah, if you were doing it for yeah. your own bespoke app, yeah, it would not be simple at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's really, that's interesting to think about. Um, yeah, it's just such a different, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like what's, what's interesting to me is like observing like the chat and, and like, we have a few people that are, you know, doing Phoenix. We have some people that are doing, you know, your, your regular old monolith apps. And then, you know, a lot of the times we were talking about like this front end tooling, that's a totally different planet. So it's kind of cool to see people's reactions to, to some of this stuff. At least better discussions that way. It's yeah, like yeah. when you get only JavaScript JavaScript people talking, you're like only like backend framework people talking. It's like it's just another it's another type of echo chamber, you know. And so I'm I'm all about like what is what are actually commonalities between the different things that we're all doing. Because ultimately, we're all putting this stuff on the web. So there are things, and that's what you've really enjoyed, and what I've really enjoyed about Remix is that Remix is like let's lean into the web as our conventions themselves. I mean, that's like super cool. Yeah, yeah, that's one. I don't know. I think like for me, there if I have, you know, I'm, I'm cranking on side projects, and and I have, you know like I guess limited time right outside of my work, depending on what my energy levels are. I'm not spending 40 hours a week on side projects. Right. So, uh, like you're talking about doing research and and kind of like picking a tool for deliberate reason. Like that's one reason why I picked remix, uh, was because it's all in MDM. Like if they're using, if they're using the fetch APIs, like request API, the response API, the, you know, headers and, and all that stuff, it's just all an NPM. It's already there. It's existing. I'm using it also in my day job before using fetch. So, um, it shared a lot of commonalities with things that I always, I, I, I'm already like crossing, uh, day to day. So, um, it was, yeah, I, I've, I've been enjoying it so far, um, so like one question I wanted to ask you too is like, since you're seeing so much, like you're, you're going around, you're looking at these different tools and you're trying to figure out, okay, how can, what's the fastest way possible to get to hello world and how can I document that? Um, aside from Redwood, uh, what is, what's been like your, one of your favorite tools that you've discovered recently or like at least like read about recently? 
Yeah, I've definitely really enjoyed getting to use Spell Kit and kind of watch the the progression of that one because that's been kind of the the only one out of all these that I can kind of say like I was actually there like the day it was released and they're like, all right, here it is. Here's the code. Run this command. You can use it. And I wrote a blog post the next day and like no one else wrote a blog post for like a month, you know, so I've actually like gotten to see this from the, the very, very ground level. And I already really wanted to learn Svelte, and I was already going to use Sapper, most likely. So it was kind of perfect where they're like, you you want a Svelte meta framework, so we're actually going to give you the newest, hippest Svelte meta framework that like anyone's building. And it like kind of came at the, the right time. And it has similar ideas to Redwood, not in the full stack sense, but in the, the serverless sense, because it's considered a serverless first framework. And we've been talking about serverless first since Redwood started. You know? So I was, this is something that they kind of like branded Svelte with this kind of serverless thing. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I already get this whole thing. That makes perfect sense to me. Whereas like some people are still kind of fair, like was actually mean. And like, there's lots of kind of, you know, buzzwords and, and stuff that makes it hard to, to wrap your mind around. But um, I was like, okay, so you're just, you're going to deploy the site with a Lambda. Like, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally into that, you know? And it's also then has like all this like server side rendering and hydration stuff. And then also is using modern build tools. It was originally using uh, snowpack, but then switched to Vite. So I got to see a lot of okay. these other conversations play out within the framework of SvelteKit, which helps you kind of understand these things. Like when I was first learning Redwood, learning a little bit about Blitz was really useful because they both used Prisma. And so I was able to see the commonalities between the two and then what they each had to build on top of it to do the rest of the framework. And so it's a similar thing with seeing uh, SvelteKit and like why they pick Snowpack in the first place, and then why they switch to V. Like, just you know, see these conversations. This is what makes open source so valuable is that the conversations are, for the most part, in the open. So Kit was kind of weird because they had a lot of it happen on a private repo and then eventually made that repo public. So you can now go back and see the conversations, but they weren't really public at the time. And that's kind of another question of like how public, what it actually is working in public and what's what's not, what should be in public and what isn't, which is kind of a bigger meta question around open source. Yeah, like looking at Spellkit, it kind of looks familiar already. Like you're saying, uh, all of these things are kind of driving parallel to each other. They're just going to space out a little bit. I guess is maybe the best analogy I can think of. Yeah, so that, I mean, it's cool. Like I've never, I have never written a line of Svelte in my life, uh, but it looks familiar which which is uh kind of cool yeah Svelte's fun svelte is kind of meant to give you the same kind of powers you would get from react and view but give you an even more concise and simple syntax and then also building it in a way where you ship a super tiny bundle that doesn't have dependencies at all so it's like both a win from like dx perspective and from like a code you actually ship kind of perspective and then the things you gotta watch out for is it's newer and doesn't have as much community support as the other two but um it's one that if you're doing react or view like you really should at least do like a svelte hello world because it's like going to eventually if, if svelte doesn't eventually replace one of these something like it is going to it's just kind of a matter of time at this point because the benefits are just so obvious and this is why this when this whole build tool things started happening and people started talking about Vite and snowpack and stuff like that and using it for react i was like yeah like the spell people have been talking about this forever you know so you is you'll see these things will pop up at different places in different communities 
And if you pay attention to all of them, you will inevitably be ahead of the curve in other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's like same same thing in in uh, MVC frameworks too, right? Like similar ideas, similar innovations, right? So like seeing live view happen, then live wire happen, then hot wire happen, you know, kind of all in in, in a row like that. Similar concept. Go back to like Django versus Rails, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. With this one's with like I can't I forget now. It's like live view is Phoenix, live wire is laravel hotwire mm-hmm. is rails yeah and i'm pretty sure that django has one too <laughs> i don't i don't know yeah those are interesting those are things i want to learn more about because i don't know any of any of those frameworks or even really those those languages but i know that those things are part of the same conversation with redwood but it's it's a different kind of angle to it and it's it's all wrapped up in this thing of like how do we make full stack applications how much do you go into a single page application versus keep it on the server and that's like knowing all the JavaScript stuff still is only giving you part of the narrative until you see this whole other part with all these other backend things. Uh, I like that. That's how, that's what your perspective is. Like the whole, like you said, or like beginning of the show, like the holistic picture of, of something that's, I think that's a really healthy way to look at stuff or it's a good way to keep yourself uh, grounded. Right. Yeah. I actually think this is one thing I think I picked up from, from music. Funny enough, I, I don't usually go into the, things I learned from music in encoding type type tricks. I think most of it's crap, but um, this was a thing that I learned of how to look at a scene and assess what's important and then how to be aware of the sum total of scenes that exist. And for music, it's genres, you know, you have your metal heads who only listen to metal and you have your country fans who only listen to country. And you're not going to meet a lot of people who are metal and country fans, but there's no inherent reason why you can't listen to both and appreciate both and find masterpieces created in both so i always like kind of made a point to try and find whatever the good stuff was for for every genre and not assume a priori that this isn't my kind of genre you know and it's the same thing with with all these tools like people just they always come up with these things with certain perceptions or people just like they're never gonna like be happy writing javascript they have decided they don't like javascript you know and say typescript you know and if you have that sort of attitude, you're going to miss stuff because you're you're going to say, I don't need to learn this thing. So you're never going to understand it. You don't have to like go all in on it to at least learn enough of it to, to understand it. But that requires having like a loose filter. Like if you have a really tight filter in terms of where you're going to look at what you're, you're going to consider. So it's kind of like trusting the process that the larger community, when they're all talking about something, there's like some reason <laughs> for that, you know, yeah, and at least yeah. understanding what that reason is will like be useful for you and possibly a growth opportunity. Yeah. It's, well, I guess to go back to the music analogy, I think exposing your, as a musician, exposing yourself to multiple genres or ways of writing music is putting more tools in your toolbox. So if you're composing, uh, you have more tools to choose from. You can essentially maybe not be more creative, but you could, you have more at your disposal to be able to express yourself uh, with. Yeah. And I would say it actually, it does make you more creative because having a wider palette of things you can do allows for a wider space of, of creativity. And that's, that is you nailed in what I didn't say is like the reason why I actually want to listen to all these different kinds of music is because then 
I was aware of all the different things you can do in all these different things. So I could learn how to improvise like a jazz solo and take that to like a rock band. Like the rock player is like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, there's, but at the same time, you learn like a really cool beat from like hip hop and like take that to a jazz. And the jazz be like, oh, I've never heard something like that, you know? So you, you can't assume ahead of the time that all the interesting things are monopolized by one of these groups, you know? Yeah. Um, and even I guess like building on top of that a little bit too, it's been interesting uh, to me recently. I've been going back and listening to bands that like some people would call seminal in different genres. So for example, I was like, I've never really like listened to grunge music, but it seems like there's a lot of people that like grunge music. And the first band you think of when you hear grunge is Nirvana, right? But then you start going back and listening to Nirvana's peers or like the people influence them and you hear some of those bands and then you go back and listen to the other bands you listen to. You're like, Oh, okay. These just sound like this band that was 10 years earlier. Mud honey was kind of the source of a lot of that grunge stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Mud honey. And, uh, what's the other, uh, I keep forgetting, uh, the guy, he, he over, well, a lot of them overdosed, right? But one of the first ones to overdose, uh, Andrew, Andrew Wood, I think is the guy that overdosed. I forget what his band is called, but anyway, like, yeah, it's just the, like you start to go back and listening and you're like, Oh, this is familiar because I've heard this other, stuff. the same, Mother same Love thing Bone. with, yeah, Mother Love Bone with this one. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but that song, I'm not a huge grunge person, but that song, uh, or the band Temple of the Dog, uh, one of their songs, Hunger Strike, I think was written for, uh, Andrew. That's cool. Yeah, I was actually the same way. I was never super into to grunge, but I ended up appreciating Nirvana's later stuff, like In Utero and the the acoustic album they did. Those are really good. And then I ended up liking Alice in Chains a lot. I felt like out of all the like Pearl Jams, like they're good, but they're not really. I'm not that that big into them. And then you had like um, Soundgarden, which had their own kind of flavor, which was good, but I wasn't like super into. But I always felt like Alice in Chains hit like the right kind of combo of like grungy but also like really melodic too mm-hmm. yeah yeah so lane staley was one of the people i was going to reference to uh you listen to him and then you go and listen to more bands in the 90s and you're like oh it's lane staley uh or you know people that are that are sounding like lane staley but i mean same thing same thing with tech too like that was one thing that really intrigued me when we had uh eric on the show he wrote grokking simplicity right was he, you know, was talking about going back and reading papers and reading white papers and reading uh, research stuff and then kind of like trying to relate it to what he has been learning recently or, or you know, learn more recently. What's hilarious is when you had him on, like I saw you advertise that beforehand and I, I didn't realize until he started talking that I'd already been listening to his podcast for like two years. He has his own <laughs> podcast that's super, super obscure and he did like a two hour long episode about the entire history of small talk. And it was amazing. And I'm like, you're never you're not going to hear that anywhere else on like any other podcast. And so like he he has a historical perspective that like I very, very rarely see from from programmers. So I was like super, super stoked to see that. Yeah, it was really cool. I'd love to have, have him on again at some point. We've kept in touch a little bit, but yeah, it'd, it'd be it'd be cool to have him on just to like let him just give him the mic and let him go and see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, and I think he has a solo podcast, so it's like him just just talking. Like that's takes guts to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, cool, man. I know we're rolling up on uh, an hour, um, so yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, if there's anything else that was on your mind that you wanted to talk about more specifically? Um, I would say the last thing is just I'm trying to 
unify kind of all all my worlds with like some step zen example projects that actually use redwood and this has been really interesting because step zen as i said at the beginning is a way to spin up a graphql api gateway really easily because it's managed and so it's a, a way to connect to a wider range of backends than you would traditionally be able to do with a, with a redwood app because if you think about it, like we've talked about postgres a lot you have Postgres, you have Prisma, you have this whole backend already built out with Redwood, and it's very self-contained. But with like the Jamstack, a lot of the Jamstack is how do we use things like Shopify and Airtable and all these like headless e-commerce things and headless CMSs. And there's not really been a super good story for that with Redwood, aside from just like bring in node fetch and like make a fetch request, you know, kind of thing. Whereas this is a tool that already has a lot of built-in integrations for you and has opinions about how to do like key management and stuff of like how to actually secure some of your other like backend systems. So I have a, a Redwood example app with Shopify. And so the Shopify thing is connected to the steps and API. And then the steps and API is queried from Redwood's backend, the Redwood API folder because it has to make a request with your steps and keys. So you can't do it from the front end because then you can like just go look at your source maps and like see your keys. So Redwood turned out to be like perfectly architected for these types of things because they already figured out how to make a GraphQL request and, and mask your keys and have it be deployed on like Lambda Handler for you. Because that's what most people use serverless functions for is this, that exactly, you know? Um, and someone asked, can I put steps in in front of a backend? That's all gRPC. Um, if you ask hard enough, they'll figure out how to do it. <laughs> like it's, it's a bunch of old school API people from like Google and, and Apogee. So I, I have no doubt that they speak gRPC in their sleep, but, um, I don't think right now that is like a thing that we have like a particularly good story for, but it's certainly something that steps in is capable of if there was like enough of a demand for it. Yeah. The, so the idea of the gateway is, or at least I guess having sort of, your your self-contained app uh, i think like when you look at when you look at that like okay redwood has prisma redwood has these these tools here i feel like i have to build everything inside of this umbrella of redwood which isn't the case like you can have your own local services and then make calls out to any other service just like you would in rails or you could in rails or phoenix or, or whatever um so yeah, so what I've been doing is I've been using Firebase for auth and then Prisma for my DB stuff. But then just like any other monolith, you could hook up to Mailgun or Mailchimp or any other services. So you're basically just using Stepsend as a universal translator of sorts, right? So Stepsend is the thing that talks to all the other services, and then Redwood talks to the single service of Stepsend. And so not only does Stepsend talk to all those things, it then consolidates all those things into a single GraphQL schema that you're able to, to query against. Ah, so okay. that's that's one of the big things here is that then because your Redwood app or any app that you have set up for GraphQL, like you just have a single GraphQL endpoint, you send requests to it. And GraphQL itself has the read, write, update, delete things, all that's built into the, the query language itself. So the it's about saying okay we already know what we like about graphql it's like lean into that and like really like how do we make this all work as much as a single graph that we can just send send queries to and then you may have to send that query through multiple layers to get the thing you want but as long as they all have the same schema they have the same types then it works 
Right. I mean, I can imagine that'd be really empowering to, I mean, not only just like a front end team that would be using it. Right. But, uh, cause you'd have more people like say working on a Redwood app than just front end people. Uh, but I can imagine just having the number one, you know, a single graph, but number two, because it's GraphQL, you have the documentation, you have the types, you have everything kind of there. Uh, and the tooling is really nice these days too. So I can imagine how, uh, that would that would actually you know probably speed up development quite a bit. Yeah, and it takes a little bit of time with like most of these things. It's like the cognitive burden of having to learn GraphQL and actually know what you need to know, what you what you don't need to know. And this is why I, I consider myself like very fortunate that I had been doing all this Redwood stuff because Redwood that people talk about as like a React thing, but it's much more of a GraphQL thing than a React thing, which is pretty sure we talked about that on the last episode also. And so. I was already like, I already knew what a GraphQL request was and I already knew what a GraphQL schema was and I uh, had like a mental model for it that was like, okay, so now we're like the steps and isms because you have directives, right? And so I've been learning a lot about directives, which I think people don't talk about very much with, with GraphQL because there's is the, at, the at symbol, you know, and there's like four built-in directives that people very rarely use. And um, it's... Uh, let's see, I have a blog post for it up right here. Not that I wrote, but one of our colleagues did. So at skip, at include, at deprecated, and at specified by. And uh, what those exactly do is, is not super important for this. But the idea being that it's a way to extend functionality of your, your GraphQL server. So there's built-in directives, those four I just named. But you can create your own. And so that's really what StepsN does. Is they've written their own directives to connect to either a database, a REST endpoint, hmm. or any GraphQL endpoint at all. So that's where a lot of the magic is happening. But because you're still writing the same queries, you're still writing the same schema, you're still working with it the same way, all you have to do is figure out those couple little steps and isms, and the rest is familiar. So, I mean, now I'm just curious, is Skip like uh, allowing you to make sure something doesn't get included in like the external facing schema? Let's see. So it says skip may be provided for fields, fragment spreads, and inline fragments and allows for conditional exclusion during execution as defined by the if argument. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Cool. And include? What does that say? Let's see. So the include uh, allows for conditional inclusion during execution as described by the if statement. So it's the opposite. So the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then deprecate. This one neat. actually, I can deprecate is easy. You just basically say something's deprecated and then give a string giving the reason of like what it is or just like a message to the user so I, that was actually kind of a smart thing to, to build in and then specify by is you can t say like point to a url with a specification for a scaler type like what's your date type what's that kind of stuff so just link someone or to UUID. additional documentation it links to the example links to an um rfc one of the internet um. engineering task force the the heavy ones, the the wall of the wall of text. Yeah, the one that well that starts with a list of defining what the word must means. <laughs> yeah, this all it's it's given me the itch to I you know I've been doing a lot of front end stuff at MetaLab and and it's been a good learning experience. But I've I'm definitely got the itch to do some some API some back end work. I think like overall I think I enjoy the back end side of things a little bit more. I enjoy working in that from the day to day. Uh, Honestly, largely a lot of that's t due to tooling, um, but yeah, I've kind of gotten the itch now to to do something on that side of the defense. Cool. And then one more thing I want to mention that, that we can finish off here is that 
there's a really, really interesting happening with Redwood's backend where we are potentially going to make it possible to swap out Apollo server. And we already did this with Apollo client, making it swappable with a React query provider. And so it's going to be swappable with this thing called GraphQL Helix and a thing called Envelope, which is a kind of next-gen GraphQL server that's meant to like address specifically the problems with Apollo server. So it makes sense why they're like, we need to get these guys to use it. And it's from the Guild, which is uh, like a group that's kind of a bunch of people who work together in like a decentralized way, but it's mostly spearheaded by Yuri Goldstein, who is one of the founders of Apollo. So like he's been doing GraphQL since it was invented. And the thing is, going back to the problems with Azure, so Thomas will know this very well, when you try and deploy Redwood to Azure, the thing that breaks is Apollo Server Lambda. There's a specific package for deploying Apollo server to Lambda itself. And so to like take that out and replace it with like Apollo server Azure, <laughs> like it's not quite the, the same things because these weren't thought of as something that was going to be portable from the beginning. Going back to you have to think about these different deploy targets from the start. So GraphQL Helix is meant to be more kind of plug and play and can be more easily deployed to different deploy targets. So I have no idea how, how it works. It's like so new. There's like not a lot of docs and stuff, but of like there's been a PR that's been going if anyone wants to check it out and it's could potentially be like a game changer for the the framework in a way that is like very very hard to understand unless you're like very very deep into this tech so it's like as someone very very deep into this tech I'm like this is definitely interesting no one knows why yet but this is very very interesting it took me that long just to find the envelope uh repo <laughs> yeah envelope wasn't even announced until like a month ago that's cool. Uh, that's, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot to dig into there for next time. Yeah. We'll have to have you on again for sure. To talk about more of like some of the more technical specifics of, of this stuff. Cause it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I really, really have enjoyed getting to like continue to hang out in the discord and come to show tapings and whatnot. So awesome community you got and I very much enjoy being a part of it. Oh, we're glad you we're glad you're around. Uh, like I said, you're always just dropping links in. I'm like, I've never seen that before, <laughs> you know. So like, I part of my learning and staying up to date is just like looking at whatever you're tweeting about or who you're replying to. Uh, I basically just scroll on Twitter. I never tweet, and uh, so I follow you, and I, I get a lot of uh, information from just you talking to people. So. Um, yeah, I guess I'll have to say, like, you know, we're glad we're glad you're around and you're glad to, you know, you're you're sharing your information freely. So cool. Yeah, no, happy to. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll circle back up with you. and We'll have to get you on again. But uh, until then, um, keep up the good fight, I guess. You got the energy. Let's let's I'm going to ride your coattails. <laughs> yeah, I'm still enjoying it. We'll see. We'll see when I burn out. <laughs> All right. man. We'll talk to you soon.